Genesis chapter 29. With the help of the Holy Spirit, I want to talk to you about a story of love on this Valentine's weekend. Genesis 29, beginning at verse 1. Then Jacob went on his journey, came into the land of the people of the east. And he looked, and behold, a well in the field, and lo, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks, and a great stone was upon the well's mouth. And thither were all the flocks gathered, and they rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the sheep, and put the stone again upon the well's mouth in his place. Jacob said unto them, My brethren, whence be ye? And they said, Of Haran are we. And he said unto them, Know ye Laban the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And he said unto them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. And behold, Rachel, his daughter, cometh with the sheep. And he said, Lo, it is yet high day, neither is it time that the cattle should be gathered together. Water ye the sheep, and go and feed them. And they said, We cannot, until all the flocks be gathered together, and till they roll the stone from the well's mouth, that then we water the sheep. While he yet spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. It came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's brother and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you today thanking you for the word of God, the word that is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, we just don't know. We just don't know the condition of every mind and heart every emotional center that is present in this room today. But we pray as we have already felt through the beautiful singing and worship, we pray as well through the ministry of the gospel that someone in the house would be encouraged and strengthened, that someone that came in despondent will leave out with the joy of the Lord being their strength. God, we thank you, we praise you, for all the good things that you have bestowed upon us. We give all glory and honor to you now for these few moments together in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. I love to and always will preach from the King James Version. I just personally enjoy ministering from that version of the Scripture. But today I want to share these verses again in a version called The Message. Make it a little simpler to understand and to grasp. Jacob set out again on his way to the people of the east. He noticed a well out in an open field with three flocks of sheep bedded down around it. This was the common well from which the flocks were watered. The stone over the mouth of the well was huge. When all the flocks were gathered, the shepherds would roll the stone from the well and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone covering the well. Jacob said, hello, friends. Where are you from? And They answered, we're from Haran. Jacob asked, do you know Laban, son of Nahor? 
They said, we do. Are things well with him? Jacob continued. Very well, they said. And here is his daughter Rachel coming with the flock. Jacob said, there's a lot of daylight still left. It isn't time to round up the sheep yet, is it? So why not water the flocks and go back to grazing? While Jacob was in conversation with them, Rachel came up with her father's sheep. She was the shepherd. The moment Jacob spotted Rachel, daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, he saw her arriving with his uncle Laban's sheep. He went and single-handedly rolled the stone from the mouth of the well and watered the sheep of his uncle Laban. Then he kissed Rachel and broke into tears. He told Rachel that he was related to her father, that he was Rebekah's son, and then she ran and told her father. This is the beginning of a true story of love. At the very outset of this message today, I want to tell you that Jesus loves you. No matter who you are, your background, your social status, your reputation in the world, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, loves you. The size of your bank account, the color of your skin is of no consequence to the Lord. Jesus is in love with you. There's not one thing that you can do good to increase the love Jesus has for you. And there's not one thing that you can do wrong or bad to decrease the love that Jesus has for you. Throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, there are several love stories that abound. There's the story of Ruth and Boaz. There's the love story of Abraham and Sarah. There's the love story of Jose and Gomer, to name a few that are found in the Scripture. The intriguing thing I find about love stories in the Word of God is that they, they transcend specific times in history because in some unique and special way, they all tie in to the love God has for us. Those love stories in the Bible exist to tell us how much, number one, the Father loves us. And number two, how much Jesus Christ is willing to do to prove that love to us. From Genesis 29, I want to kind of break this down a little bit this morning. And first of all, I want to talk about love's encounter. You have to understand that Jacob is a son of promise. He's coming looking for a wife as he has been admonished to do. And he comes to the land in the east where his father's family resides. He's in conversation with some shepherds, happens to be gathered around the, the mouth of a well where there was plenty of water and where they needed water from to be able to quench the thirst of their flocks. And while he's in conversation with them, all of a sudden, this shepherd girl comes with a flock of her own. Typical sizes of a flock for a shepherd were about 100 sheep. And so here comes Rachel walking up with her flock of 100 sheep, and she's coming as well as the rest of the shepherds to get her flock some, some water out of the well. And the Bible tells us when Jacob sees Rachel for the first time, he is deeply impacted. 
He fell in love with her immediately. There was a deep emotional effect upon him. It was love, truly love at first sight. Now, you need to grasp the significance of this. This is a prince of a man from a well-to-do family. He's coming from a family of covenant. A family with the provision of the Lord. A family with the promises of the Lord. The Lord had told his grandfather, Abraham, if you can number the stars in the heaven, then you'll know how big your family's going to be. If you can number the sands on the seashore, you'll know how big your family is going to be. A family that is very wealthy. Uh, Jacob's family was chosen by God. And through Jacob's family and posterity and the legacy he would leave, all of the nations of the world will be, will be blessed. And he's been assigned on this journey where he's at. But he shows up at the, at the well where a bunch of flocks and shepherds are gathered together. And he sees a shepherd girl from the other side of the family. Now I want you to grasp also the significance of that. Shepherds out shepherds in society were outcast. They were lowly regarded by other nations they, and peoples. They were a, a mangy, stinking group of people who couldn't vote. They weren't counted for any real significant value whatsoever. And so when Rachel walks up, I know we have this image and this impression of what Rachel must have looked like when Jacob saw her for the first time. And God has sent me to this pulpit to shatter that impression and that image in your mind. Because the truth of the matter is, her hair is in a tussle. The truth of the matter is, her, her face is marked, her skin with smudge and dirt and grime because she's been out day and night with her flock of a hundred sheep that she has fed faithfully and led faithfully. And she has mended their wounds. Wool fragments, wool pieces are, are stuck to her garments. She certainly doesn't have the lotions and the dream and the perfumes and the, and the garments to meet the man of her dreams. There is no first impression on the surface here. I thought about that this week, and as I was processing, I, I can. My, my wife and I are coming up on 32 years of marriage in the month of April, and I'm thankful for all the years that we've had together. But it was about three years prior to that, when in about the summer of 1985, when Sandra bought a black and white dress. And when she bought that black and white dress, oh baby, did it catch my eye. And she would actually confess, probably took her a little while, but it, she confessed later that she bought that dress to catch my eye, and it worked. Hook, line, and sinker. But I'm telling you here, the shepherd girl, Rachel, is dirty. And as I study this, this week and prepared, I can't help but to remind all of us today, no matter how nicely dressed that we are, whether we're in an elegant dress, Dress or a stylish pantsuit or wearing a sports coat. Sports coat. In, in reality, we're nothing. We're nothing but dirt and and grime and and filth. I mean, look at your neighbor right now and say, "Good morning, brother or sister, dirtbag." Would you do that right now? Truth hurts. Job fifteen and sixteen. The Bible says, "How much abominable." And filthy is man which drinks iniquity like water. 
Psalms 14 and 3 says they are all together become filthy. There is none that does good, no, not one. In Isaiah 64 and 6, we find the word of God telling us that we are all as an unclean thing. And all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Perspective is a powerful thing. Perspective is a a potent thing. But I want to tell you again, that does not diminish Jesus' love for you. I want to tell somebody today, to put to rest the idea that if you do bad, God is going to love you less. Oh, how the Lord laid it heavy upon my heart. How many prodigals are sitting at home this morning and they want to be in the house of the Lord, but they have this kind of concept and perception in their mind that God at their next mistake is going to bring the hammer down on them. That is a lie from the devil. That is a lie that the devil wants you to continue to live with. I'm telling you, you may be even here today and you're thinking, I can't make another mistake or that's going to be it. I'm going to be wiped out. I want to tell you something that simply is not true. I want to reiterate the word of God that says his love for you is an everlasting love. I'm telling you, Friday morning, I got down on, on Valentine's Day and I got down to pray. And as I got down to pray, I felt the Lord impress me to say, I love you, God. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Holy Spirit. But then the realization hit me that the only way that I was able to even speak those words to the Lord was because he loved me first. I'm telling you, we love him because he first loved us. And every one of us in here, we're like that dirty shepherd girl named Rachel. From the moment, but from the moment we were conceived in our mother's womb, He has watched over us. He has provided for us. He has loved us. And before we served him, he was in love with every one of us. I like the way John 13, 1 says it. Having loved his own, he loved them until the very end. I'm telling you, you are human. I'm I'm not advocating sin, but I'm telling you, if you fall, you have an advocate with the Father whose name is Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Why? I'm telling you why. It's not because of your image. It's not because of your first impression. It's because he has a covenant love for you and it's been started from the moment you were conceived and it will last for all of eternity. I wish somebody would give the Lord praise on this Valentine's weekend. There is no love greater than the love of Jesus Christ for your soul. Hallelujah. 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 What you need to understand, even though Rachel was later described in the Bible as stunningly beautiful, it was not her first impression that won Jacob over. It was covenant love. It was covenant love. It was that that was in his spirit 
that was deeper within his heart than surface love, than, than beautiful attraction that won Jacob to her. It was more than image. It was more than first impression. And I'm telling you, that is what attracted Jesus to us. Our skin, deep beauty, we all would have been left out of his love. But it is covenant love. We let him down. When we sin, we disappoint him. But that doesn't change who he is. God is love. It is his nature. It is part of who he is. And nothing can change change that. Jesus Christ loves you. Let me make a few further observations that prove his love. First of all, I want you to notice the strength of his love. Jacob noticed the well. He saw a huge stone at the mouth of the well. Three flocks with at least three shepherds, had already gathered there. And according to the Bible, it normally took several of the shepherds together to move the stone from off the mouth of the well to be able to water their flocks. Three, four, five hundred sheep watered from that one well, but it took all of those shepherds together to move that stone. But my Bible tells me that as soon as he saw Rachel, oh baby, as soon as he saw Rachel, he went over and single-handedly removed the stone from the mouth of the well. Now friend, that's crazy love, but that's also crazy strength. He displayed, I believe, supernatural strength. I believe that it was the Spirit of the Lord coming upon him to accomplish this awesome feat. And it was all because of Jacob's love for Rachel. Boy, I tell you, I got to processing that this week, and I thought love is one powerful, powerful element. Can I tell you the scripture says love covers a multitude of sins. Doesn't matter what you've done or how many times you've done it. If you experience the love of God, hallelujah, you experience love that can cover all sins. It can be one or one thousand. It's still the love of God is powerful enough to cover all of them over. I also see that the greatest attribute a person can have is love. Thank God for faith Thank God for hope. Thank God for looking to the future. But I'm telling you, love is greater than all of those. I even read where love is as strong as even death. We get worried about death. We tremble about death. But death can't hold a candle to the power that is in love. In fact, if you look, if you thought about it, you would realize that because of his love for you, Jesus displayed tremendous strength on the cross of Calvary. I know we don't look at it that way and we think about it being his weakest moment but listen to what the Bible says in John chapter 19 and verse 17 it says he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of the skull which is called in Hebrew Golgotha Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8 it says and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross Hebrews chapter 12 
12 and verse 2 tells us he endured the cross. You say, Pastor, are you telling us that when Jesus died, he showed his strength, the strength of his love for us? You're probably thinking he wasn't strong at all. He, he was weak. He was physically exhausted. He was dehydrated. He was fatigued. He was wore out. I'm telling you, yes, he was all of that physically. But I'm telling you, while he was physically, physically drained, he was spiritually strong as he ever had been upon this earth. His supernatural strength was displayed. His spiritual strength was shown forth. You see, I know while he hung there, Ephesians 2 and 6 says that he reconciled both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. What does that mean, preacher? Give us to that in language that we can understand. It means that you and I were far from God and there was a barrier that existed between us. There was a barrier that kept us separated from God. But in his weakness physically, he destroyed that barrier spiritually and he built a bridge of love from us to God Almighty. I'm telling you, while he was hanging on the cross, he was destroying that that separated us from God and he was building a bridge to give us access unto God. I'm telling you, when Jesus said it is finished, he built a bridge. You say, I don't know about that. Well, you got to understand the word of God. Though it was his weakest hour, it was also his strongest spiritual hour. For Colossians tells us this, he spoiled principalities and powers. What does that mean? He took from the kingdom of darkness. Well, praise the Lord. I'm telling you, he took from the kingdom of darkness. Not only did he spoil principalities and powers, but he made a show of them openly, which means he embarrassed the devil. He took spoils from the kingdom of darkness. He embarrassed the devil and made him look like the fool that he really is. And not only that, he triumphed, was victorious over them. In summation, again, he took from darkness. He embarrassed the devil and he won the victory all because of his love for you and I. When he was at his weakest physically, he was at his strongest spiritually and because of that, you and I are no longer separated from God. We now have a bridge to the heavenly father. We now have a home called heaven all because he showed forth his strength in his love for us. Hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs> well, praise the Lord. While they nailed his hands and feet to the cross, he nailed your sins to the same cross. Not only the strength of his love was shown, though, but I can't leave this without talking the victory of his love. See, Jacob went over and did what three-plus shepherds could not do. He rolled away the stone. There continues to be despair and doubt for the shepherds, for their flocks. As long as there's only two shepherds or three shepherds, they're right there at the source. 
But the sheep continue to be thirsty. (laughs) Despair and doubt. Much like there was despair the third morning after Jesus died. As to who was going to roll away the stone. A stone that covered the tomb where Jesus was buried. But the angel of the Lord came down. There was a great earthquake and the stone of despair and doubt and isolation was removed. And they looked in to see that the body of Jesus was not there. Every preacher I know, including myself, has said that the stone was removed not so Jesus could get out, but so that you and I could look inside and see that death, hell, and the grave had been defeated. What are you talking Easter? This is February. I thought this was a Valentine's message. I'm telling you whether it's in February or in the middle of August or in the middle of November, I'm telling you every day in the house of God is supposed to be a celebration of his resurrection because his resurrection makes the love story complete. It took Christmas and the incarnation. It took Good Friday and the crucifixion. But I'm telling you, it took Easter Sunday morning somebody had to roll the stone away the son of God came forward and said because I live you shall live also and he completed the plan of redemption when the stone was rolled away and he said I am alive forevermore if he hadn't come we'd have no hope if he hadn't died we'd have no salvation And if he hadn't resurrected, we wouldn't have no victory. (laughs) So he showed the strength of his love. He showed the victory of his love. And then finally, he showed the provision of his love. Jacob was willing to show the strength of his love, and he single-handedly moved the stone, showing the victory of his love. But he watered Rachel's flock, validating the provision of his love. At least 100 sheep that belonged to Rachel. And he watered all 100 sheep. He humbled himself in front of this newfound love. And he watered the whole flock. (laughs) He didn't have to do that. He was royalty. He was a man of honor. But it was a noble sign of servanthood and humility after moving the stone. He could have said, you know what? I've I've moved the rock. You have to get water on your own. He didn't do that. After Jesus died and rose again and went back to heaven, he didn't have to do anything else for us. He had done everything he had been asked to do. But how many of you know he didn't stop after he resurrected? Every day, every day, he whispers to us, Oh, everyone that is thirsty, Come unto me and drink. All of you, every one of you, every single one of you, no matter how parched you are, no matter how, how, how in famine you find yourself, come and I will feed you. Come and I will, 
I will water you. His love keeps giving every day. He prays for you every day. He provides for you every day. He protects you every day. Isaiah invites you, if you're thirsty, come to the waters. Psalms 36 says, You, Lord, shall make them drink of the river of your pleasure. John 7, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. Revelation 22, let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him come unto me and drink. Jacob watered every single lamb and sheep that belonged to Rachel. And he did it all out of covenant love for a dirty old shepherd girl. The stench had to be strong. Days and nights and weeks and months out in an open field. We always see these pictures of sheep. And they're always white. And yet I ain't never seen one of them in reality that's white. I ride down Route 11, and I right before I get to turn left on Memorial, there's a big old honking flock of them. Ain't a white one in the group. And I guarantee you if I got close enough to them, they probably don't smell all that great. Probably don't look all that great. Rachel stayed with them. And here is a son of promise. I can't grasp it. Often at times like this, I'm thinking about Psalms 8. When the psalmist wrote and said, When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that you're even mindful of him? Or the son of man that you would even visit him? Who in the world do we think we are? We ought to live every day with a heart grateful for the boundless, abundant grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. He didn't love us for what we look like. He loves us because he is love. He didn't love us for what we could give back to him. He didn't love us because of our charisma. Oh, his love must run so much deeper than that. <laughs> Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus says, I have 
I have loved you with an everlasting love. I, I have loved you. I love you. I have loved you. I love you currently. It's an everlasting love. If, you're, if, you're, if you've never encountered the love of Jesus... If you're lost, if you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart, then you've really not experienced His love in the measure that He wants to give it to you. There's lost people, I'm sure, that are present. I don't know every one of your hearts. God does. You say, I, I, don't, I don't have anything to offer. I'm not very lovable. I don't give a great first impression. I'm moody. I don't have a lot of gifts and talents. I've really blown it. I slept with someone last night I shouldn't have slept with. I, I cursed someone out. Road rage got the best of me yesterday. I tipped that shot of alcohol to my lips. I popped them pills. Jealousy threw me into a rage. My anger got the best of me. There's a lot of, I'm a messed up person and preacher. Boy, if anybody can relate to Rachel, I'm a dirty, stinking mess. Sin has messed me up. My choices have messed me up. The devil has messed me up. I'm a wreck. Jesus says I don't love you because of what you look like or how many times you've messed up. I love you because I am love. And I want you to encounter my eternal everlasting love. He says if you'll come to me I will I'll make you a new creation. Ah, uh, you won't go away perfect. You'll have, still have some stuff. You'll still mess up. The difference between when you go versus when you come is that I will be with you. And my grace, and my spirit, and my amazing love will help you grow into that wonderful vessel with a treasure inside that I created you to be. You're here. I said, I don't know how to do this, preacher. Tell me how. Very simple. While every head's bowed and every eye's closed, you say, I want to find the peace of Christ. 
I'm, a, I'm like the dirty old shepherd girl today. And the King of Glory wants to have a relationship with me, and I so desperately want to have a relationship with Him. I can ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to just get up from where you are and just come and meet me here. Are you here this morning? Are you here this morning? God's working. God's moving. You see, this, these lies of the devil, they don't just taunt unbelievers. They terrorize people that have accepted Christ, people that are living for the Lord. Some have been living for the Lord for decades and still go through seasons where they don't feel loved. Some have just accepted the Lord. They're believers. They call themselves Christians. We're, we're, we're believers. We've asked Jesus into our heart. But today I just feel like I, I, just, I just need to feel the love of God. I, I don't know who that is today. You're a believer. You're a believer. Because of some things that are happening in your life. Some, maybe a broken heart. Maybe a, a shattered relationship. Maybe, maybe some things have happened in the family. I appreciate the honest heart. I believe there's others. I want you to come. I want you to meet me here. Come on quickly. Come on quickly. I desire to feel his love. I need two or three compassionate women of God to come quickly right now. Put your arms around her. Is there others? Is there others? Your heart is broken today. 